Okay, there we go. All right, now it's all recording right. too. Okay. Um, all right, we'll get right into it. You're all set? You're good? I'm good. All right. All right, here we go. Idiot Expert, episode eight. I'm Cal Chojo. I'm, of course, here with uh, my partner in crime, Claudio Perfetto. You can find us on Twitter at CalChojo5, at CPerfetto11. Most importantly, you can find our podcast handle at Idiot Expert Pod. Episode 8, jam-packed. I'm really excited for this one. Claude, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I agree. It was a crazy week in soccer and the Champions League, so I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, uh, not only in the soccer world, but in the sports world in general. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right into it. We'll start with the Champions League um, and, you know, a kind of tale of two cities between last week and this week. Last week, when you listen back, we were down in the dumps on uh, on the Italian soccer leagues and the Ita- Italian soccer teams, um, how they were performing in this Champions League. Um, they had their last stand. They really, really uh, showed some some passion and some pride, and they, they gave – Two excellent, excellent performances. So we'll start with with Roma and Barcelona. Roma came all the way back. They win three to nothing in the second leg, and then they advance on the aggregate four to three. Uh, Claude, we'll start here. I know you were absolutely shocked by this outcome. For the novice fan, such a shock. So um, it was obviously a great performance by Roma and. The shock comes from the fact that you have two teams, one being Barcelona, which is um, storied, wins the Champions League all the time, always gets to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, and then you have Roma, who hasn't been to the quarterfinals of the Champions League in you know 10 years or so, and they um, haven't even been to a semifinal since since the 80s, since before it was even called the Champions League. So um, going into it, you would never think that a team like Roma that doesn't have the experience and the pedigree in the Champions League would be able to overcome Lionel Messi and Barcelona. Um, and they did it, and they did it brilliantly. Yeah, so I think the interesting thing that you were, you were stating there, um, you know, we've, you see this in sports. You see a young, up-and-coming, talented team knock off a team that has been there before, you know, a storied franchise, uh, when the, the Yankees and the Red Sox get knocked out by the Astros or, uh, or examples like that. But the interesting twist on, on this is that Barcelona is also the more talented team. Yeah, they are. They're, they're definitely 1 through 11, the more talented team. And Roma is not even a very young team. I mean, they have guys – you know, in their starting 11 that are pretty much in their primes or even over their primes, you know, in the case of uh, De Rossi. So it's not, it's just, it's a crazy result, but, you know, kudos to them, especially the manager who did a great job because after the first game, um, you know, after the press, in the press conference, he said that after the first game, he knew that even though Roma played well, which they really did in the first game, they were a bit unlucky with the two long goals. Um, and then, you know, they had an absolute blunder by one of their midfielders at the end that made it 4-1. Um, they did play well, though, and the coach said that he knew that he still had to change something 
going into the second game because he needed to do they needed to do more and what he did was he changed from a four-man defense to a three-man defense that really overloaded the midfield and allowed them to press for the whole game which not many teams do to Barcelona um and he did it for a full 90 minutes where you see a lot of teams try to do it for 45 minutes maybe 60 minutes and then they get really tired run out of gas and, um, you know, they kind of get exploited. But Roma was able to do it for the full 90 minutes. It was one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen. So, you know, for the novice fan, let's ask the question to the expert. Did Roma lose this or did Bar- – uh, rather, did Roma win this or did Barcelona lose this? Roma absolutely won it. Um, you know, I'm sure Barcelona fans and some people in the soccer world will say like, that is this a co- Was this it. a collapse? Would they say it's a collapse? It, yeah, I mean, I guess it, it could be – it is a collapse. I mean, for sure. The reason for it is not so much that Barcelona kept making mistakes and they gave the game away. Roma really went and took the game. You know, they like I said, they pressed the whole entire game. So they made it really difficult for Barcelona to to play the ball up the field. You know, Barcelona likes to play short, quick passes. They don't really play direct, long balls up the field. So they start from the back, and they they pass their way up the field. And Roma was pressing them so high that they weren't able to do that. And, you know, if you watch a Barcelona game, usually Barcelona has like 60% or more of the possession. And in this game, they didn't because Roma kept winning the ball back and they just bombarded them with long balls right into the box at the goalie because they had the height advantage. And sure enough, it ended up working. You know, the first goal was a beautiful ball from the dead Rossi to Zeko, went right over the top and it beat Barcelona. The second goal was caused by a penalty um, because they did the same thing. They, they, launched the ball into the box and, you know, Zeko beat the defense again. And this time they just pulled him down. And then the third goal was a header off a corner kick. So their strategy worked. So I don't think that it was necessarily Barcelona losing it, even though maybe the coach could have made some adjustments and, um, you know, helped his team come out, especially at halftime and hold on to the lead. But Roma really just took it from them. And, you know, as we as we wrap, you know, tie a bow on on this matchup, I, I think we should point out to the listeners: um, not only was this a sense of pride for Italian soccer everywhere uh, that Roma came back and, and beats Barcelona, um, because I, I see all you know all the different Italian soccer teams showing support. Juventus Twitter account, yeah. AC Milan's Twitter account, everyone was very proud of it. Not only were they proud of the team, but the cherry on top was that they were proud of Daniela De Rossi, which many, many uh, Italian soccer fans are very familiar with. He's, you know, played with Roma for forever. Um, and I think you even mentioned to me uh, and, and, and on Twitter uh, that it was a brilliant performance by him. Yeah, he's come under a lot of criticism in, the, in recent years because he's getting older. You know, he's probably not the player that he was. But last uh, Tuesday night, he was vintage that also. I mean, he was involved in the first goal. It was his pass that, that created the chance. The second goal, he had the guts to step up and take that penalty and, and hit it, which a lot of players probably wanted no part of because it was such an important time in the game. Um, and it was great, really great to see him at that level again. 
he hasn't been there in years and, and to do it for a whole 90 minutes was so impressive, especially against Barcelona. And I just think that his experience from being in big games for both Italy and Roma in the past really gave uh, a sense of calm to the rest of his teammates, which was so important uh, in, in a game like this. Now, you mentioned penalties, and we know uh, that was a, a, a looming topic throughout the, uh, this round of the, of the Champions so. League. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit as we, we move forward. Now, Roma's in the final four. Uh, not what many people would have predicted. Uh, I'm the idiot, so no. I, didn't, I didn't think that this was going to happen. You, you're the expert. You didn't think this was going to happen. Now at this point, you know, you, we said this with college basketball with, uh, with Loyola. Once you get here, you might as well win the damn thing. Um, yeah. So I, I know we were saying just getting to this point, they were happy with it. But, it, but moving forward, the goal is obviously to win. Yeah, and, I, you know, Roma's Champions League as a whole was, is a great story because they were drawn into a group with Atletico Madrid and Chelsea, um, which they were not favored to come out of. They defied the odds and came out of that group. Then they had a good draw in the round of 16 in Shakhtar, but they lost the first game, so they had to come, you know, overcome that and win the second game and to move on, which they did. And now this, this Barcelona game was crazy. So they're at a point now where, like you said, there's four teams left, and they will know better than anybody how hard it is to get here because, like I said, they haven't been here since – since the eighties, you know, they haven't gotten to the semifinals since the eighties. So they have to try and win. And I think this particular year, there's a group of teams that they really have a shot to go out and win it. Yeah. So the American term is obviously playing with house money. Um, But now they've, like you said, you never know when you're going to get back here. So you're playing with house money, but at the same time, Roma fans want to see a championship. Yeah, they do. And uh, you know, the other three teams that are in it are um, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Liverpool. So, you know, Roma now, can compete the, with anybody. Of that group, who is the best team for them to draw? I would like to see them draw Liverpool um, just because I think Liverpool is another team that hasn't been at this stage in a while. So, you know, they're not going to have an experience edge over Roma. Um, Roma's midfield is very good, so they could, you know, they could play with anybody. But um, and then also, as we spoke about last episode, Mohamed Salah left Roma and went to Liverpool this season. So I would love to see Salah come back and play Roma in the semifinals of the Champions League. And I think that Salah is one of the best players in the world right now. Um, Definitely the best player on Liverpool. So what better team to be able to neutralize him and know his weaknesses than the team that he's played for the past few seasons? Yeah, absolutely. That would make for an unbelievably interesting uh, subplot and, and storyline uh, moving into the, the final four. Um, I'll tell you the team that I think they want to avoid, and that's Real Madrid, and we'll transition to them. Um, Real Madrid obviously moving on after uh, really surviving the Juventus uh, onslaught as uh, they lost, the, lost their second leg 3-1, to one, but they advance on aggregate four to three on a penalty penalty kick by Cristiano Ronaldo um, pretty much as time was expiring. Um, So we let's, let's start with, with this. Obviously I think Roma wants to avoid them at all costs because Real Madrid is clearly the most talented team. They've been there before they've won before. Um, 
how impressive was it for them to survive this onslaught? Yeah. So, you know, like you said, they, um, that's the team that Roma wants to avoid because they're two time champions. You know, when you talk about talent and experience, they have more than anybody, either of those things. So yeah, Roma definitely wants to avoid them. Um, in, in, in terms of this game against Juventus, you know, it was, it was a different 3-0 comeback. Um, you know, in, in Roma's game, they dominated the game. Barcelona really had no chances to score. In the Juventus-Real Madrid game, Juventus did very well to get back into the game and get back into the tie. But Real Madrid definitely had chances to score. And then if you look at the last 20 minutes of the game, um, Real Madrid really started taking advantage of, of Juventus being tired because they had to use so much energy to get back into the into the game and, and go 3 nothing up. So Real Madrid was really starting to, to pour it on. Um, but I don't think it was an impressive performance by Real Madrid in, in any sense of the word because they were home. You know, that's the, that's the difference. Barcelona went to Rome and lost 3 nothing. Real Madrid was at home playing Juventus. So to lose to be down three, nothing at home and throw away your first leg result. It's not, it wasn't a very vintage impressive Real Madrid performance. So that would have been more of a case of Real Madrid collapsing. That would have been, yeah, a hundred percent because, you know, Roma was backed by their home fans. The stadium was crazy. It was packed, you know, Real Madrid, they're home. So, you know, Juventus went away and was beating them three, nothing. And, it definitely would have been considered a collapse on Real Madrid's part, especially because they're two-time champions. So, so you know, we've it's been well documented on this show and on many shows and on Twitter and throughout throughout the the soccer community um, that this was Juventus's goal this year was to win the Champions League. Obviously, they fall short. Let's uh, kind of zoom in a little bit on how that ended up happening. Uh, let's start with the penalty. Um, was it a penalty? And not only yeah. was it a penalty, but the ejection that followed it. So the answer is, and this is obviously just my opinion, but the answer is that it was a penalty. Now, it was a soft penalty. Um, and I don't think that in that time of the game, after all that's taken place, you can call that penalty because – there's no way in real time the referee could be 100% sure that that was a penalty. Look, if, if there was VAR in the Champions League like there is in Italy or other countries, I think that it would have absolutely been considered a penalty and, it, and, and that would have been the end of it. But this is still – Champions League doesn't have VAR, so this is still a situation where a referee is making a call in live time. So, and from his angle, how could you possibly be 100% sure that the Real Madrid player didn't just flop? So let me ask you a question. And this is a, a macro-level question. In basketball, we always hear about a referee putting his, you know, swallowing his whistle on a last end-of-game possession and not calling a foul. Is that the same case in soccer? To an extent. I mean, if it's something so blatant, like an obvious handball or an obvious like slide tackle from behind or an obvious pull down, then, of course, you know, you have to call it. But in a situation like this, there are always two things in soccer, really, like the timing of the game is important. 
and the place on the field where the foul takes place is important. If that happens at midfield or outside the box, it's 100% a foul, and the ref's going to call it a foul. But to happen in the box at that time of the game for a penalty, you, you just – it, it the the whistle should have been swallowed in my opinion and it's a terrible way to have a game end because you're you're pretty much guaranteeing at that point that the game is going to be over when you know the flip side of that is not calling the foul and now the game goes into extra time and both teams have a chance to still continue and win so it it was a terrible decision in that sense but it was a penalty it it really was so Let's move on to the second part of that question. Um, and I think was obviously the crazier storyline when, as I was watching it, was after the, after the penalty is called, Gigi Buffon ends up receiving a red card and is ejected from what could possibly be his last Champions League uh, performance of all time. Um, I just think that's crazy, crazy that the red card would be would be taken out, and it wasn't even for do. It was for yeah. arguing with the referee. Exactly. It was <laughs> so whatever he said. I think he after the game, you know, he was just explaining that he told the ref that to make a call like that at that time in the game, you can't have a heart basically because he was saying you have to take into consideration all that Juventus did to get back into the game and, you know, to make a call and decide the game like that, you have no heart. So I agree with you. It's just, you know, he's Gigi Buffon. You know what he stands for. You know, he's been around for so many years. He's a class act, never has any issues. Obviously you're basically as the referee, you're taking away this man's last opportunity to win the champions league by making that call. You have to, understand that he's going to verbally abuse you pretty much so you know yeah. if he's grabbing you well, what, I understand but th- what i was reading on twitter was that people are saying that the ejection happened because he put his hands on the referee no. um did you see something no, like that? i didn't see anything like that i mean it, it actually looked like buffon was pulling his teammates away f- from the ref and trying to talk to them himself, which he should be doing because he's the captain and really only the captain should be talking to the, to the ref. Um, but I didn't see anything remotely forceful enough to be considered, you know, a, an assault or whatever and, and have him thrown out of the game. So now the red card takes place. Um, they obviously get the penalty kick. But think about how detrimental this is. And I want the listeners and those that are novices to think about this. Even if the backup goalie who has not played the entire game comes in and miraculously makes a save, Juventus has to now play the extra time with 10 people. Exactly. And even before you get to that point, like you just said, you're having a goalie who's been on the sideline the whole game watching come in and try to stop the most important penalty of the season where, you know, you have a goalie who's been playing the whole game and and is warmed up and, you know, really into it. He should be on the field. And then if, but if they did make a save, which, you know, Ronaldo's penalty was perfect. So no goalie was going to be able to save that, but you never know if, if there wasn't a chance to make a save there, like you said, now you basically put Juventus in a situation where for 30 minutes of extra time, they have to just try to defend and pray for penalties. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a crazy outcome. Um, I just think time and place. And it, it's funny. I, I forget the name of the movie that, that I'm, I'm thinking of. It, it has Billy Crystal in it. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but uh, he's an NBA referee and he ejects, uh, he ejects Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his retirement game <laughs> in like the first few minutes of the game. That's what it kind of felt like. Like, how could you throw this man out of this game and possibly, you yeah. know, possibly he's, he's an icon, uh, not only to in Italian soccer, but in world soccer. You know, he's the most renowned goalie in the world. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, I just don't understand how you can do that at that time. It's crazy. And look, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, does it really come down to the penalty? You know, it does in one way. But, you know, Juventus obviously should, could have played better in the first leg. Um, you know, I know something we spoke about last week. Uh, they were down two nothing, and Dybala gets a red card and gets yeah, thrown so. out of the game, which then allows Real to go up three nothing. And obviously, if it's two nothing coming into this game, it's a much different storyline, easier task. So Juventus had yeah. opportunities. I mean, even from from a novice perspective, and you know, I mentioned this to you. Um, regardless of what happened during this game, the blame. For this whole loss for Juventus has to fall on Paolo Dybala. And he's, you know, he's probably the most talented player on the team from my understanding and from what you tell me um, and what I see. But at the same time, he really lost them this opportunity to move on because you just mentioned it. They're, they're down 2-0 in the first leg. He picks up a red card. Now, now they're playing with 10 men. They give up a goal. It's now three nothing. You know, possibly if you have your full team, you have eleven guys out there. You could score a goal. You can make it two to one. You could have made it. You could have just left the score as two, two, yeah. two, two, uh, two zero. So you know, I put them so far behind the eight ball. And keep in mind that even if, let's just say this penalty never happens or Ronaldo misses or whatnot. Juventus was already losing steam. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's a bit harsh to say that he's the sole reason why they lost, but he was definitely a part of it. I mean, look, the other reasons, obviously, were the first two goals that they scored were defensive errors. So Listen, you put it, but you put put your team at such a disadvantage to begin with. Um, You have to be the person that takes the blame. Now, did you hear anything after the game where anyone alluded to this? No, no one's really been. Because the storyline now is basically Juventus did everything to erase that, you know, erase the Dybala red card, erase the three goals. They, they erased everything, and they got back to a point where they were on a level playing field, and then the referee basically took it away from them. So that's the biggest um, storyline coming out of this game. Nobody's talking about, you know, Dybala. Listen, I mean, the I, one I mean, storyline is that he didn't – did Juventus play better because he wasn't in this game because, you know, they obviously were able to score three goals um, in this game without him. So, you know, did they play better because he wasn't in the game? That's been a little bit of a storyline, which I think is he's, – he's the best player, most talented player on that team, so I don't feed into that. Um, there are other reasons why they weren't able to score in the first game. You know, one – person i don't know if you're very familiar with him mario manzukic he scored the first two goals for juventus yeah and he, he didn't, didn't play, play in the first, the first game, game and that is one person that should have absolutely been in the first game because he's their most clutch player he's he works so hard he's always there when they need a goal and he 
really should have played in the first game. That's one of the biggest reasons why I think that they're not going through. Um, but you know what? To the, to the Juventus supporters, they may not like it, but the ba- don't don't put the referees in a in an opportunity uh, to to make a decision yeah, like well, that's that. The other that, thing. Can, that can take your uh, that can take that can really affect you. Yeah, that because way. look, even on that last goal, the penalty. You know, Benatia, their defender, he was far away from Lucas Vasquez, the Real Madrid player at the time. So he had to cross all the way over, catch up to him. And, you know, he was in a bad spot because he was behind them. So he had to touch him a little bit to, to kind of let him make him fumble and not be able to shoot and score. But, you know, look, that, that play happens a lot um, in, in soccer. And it's not called a lot. You know, it's, it's probably like 50-50. And my point is just that even though it is a penalty at that particular Don't put time, him in position yeah, for that. Exactly. Yeah. Just don't put him in a position to do that. So as, as we wrap this up, I, we mentioned for both games, and you know, I alluded to it before, um, how the penalties were, were seem to be looming throughout this, and the penalty kicks uh, seem to be looming throughout both Roma and Juventus' matchups. Um, it's interesting, and it, it may be because I'm an outsider looking in, Everything that I read, everyone talks about the the uh, courage to step up and take the penalty kick. And again, like I said, you know, I'm very new to the sport. If the coach tells you, the manager tells you to go take the kick, what are you going to do? Say no? <laughs> is, that, is, is, that so, is that something that, that everyone huddles around and they say, all right, I'm going to be the one that takes it? Or is it a, a situation where it's like, well, Ronaldo's the best player on the team. He's going to be the one that yeah, takes make it. it. Being the best player doesn't necessarily make you the best penalty kick taker on the team. Like, for example, you know, that Rossi took it because it's a really – it's you have to have the nerves to do it because it's a tough thing to do. Now, I'd argue that – Now, are there – or let's – before you, you move forward, are there specialists like in – in hockey, there's shootout specialists, yeah, TJ Oshie. Of course. In basketball, there's free throw specialists, like Steph Curry shoots 95% from no, the free throw line. Of course, line. like if you see, if you watch an actual penalty shootout, you know, so the team has to send five guys up there to take penalties. They're not usually, they're not always, you know, five attacking players, quote unquote. You know, like last year in the Euros, uh, in 2016 in the Euros, when Italy played Germany, they had a huge penalty towards the end of the game, and Bonucci t- st- you know, stepped up and took it. Uh, so uh, there are specialists, and it's mostly because it's a very nerve-wracking situation, so you need somebody up there that can handle the pressure uh, of taking it. Interesting, interesting. All right, so that wraps up our, our uh, Italian team's uh, portion of the Champions League tournament. Let's move on to uh, Bayern Munich and Sevilla. As Bayern Munich moves on, it was a 0-0 uh, second leg, uh, but Bayern Munich moves on 2-1 to one on the aggregate. Um, yeah. The game rather lackluster. The, the thing that I find most interesting about this is that today the announcement that Bayern Munich is going to hire a new coach. Now you have a current coach that has already brought you to the final four of the Champions League. What more do you want the person to do well, for you? Well, it's because their current coach is not a long-term solution he's an older guy maybe he should get an opportunity well, to he, does, he doesn't solution. want it that's the problem he so he came on as like a caretaker because earlier in the season Bayern Munich actually fired Carlo Ancelotti 
uh, the Italian coach. They fired him, and so they hired uh, Himes uh, to come and um, take over for the rest of the season. So they're hiring their coach for next season because he wasn't going to to continue on. Interesting. All right. So now they're going to hire this new coach. Um, does he take over before the final? Be- you know, before the uh, the next round? No, of the no, he'll League? take over in the summer after after the season. But you know, the interesting thing about this is that um, Bar- Bayern Munich did this once before. They hired this guy. Not they didn't hire him, but uh, as an interim at the time. But he was coaching them right before Pep Guardiola came to coach them, and he actually won the Champions League with them at the time, the year before Pep Guardiola came to coach them. And then Guardiola coached Bayern Munich, and they haven't won the Champions League um, with him. And then Ancelotti took over, and they haven't won the Champions League with Ancelotti either. And he got fired earlier this season, and now they hired Heinz again. And he has a chance to win the Champions League again with Bayern Munich, even though they have these full-time guys coming in and they're not able to do it. So it's, it's kind of an ironic uh, situation. Crazy, crazy, and you know we'll move on to the last, uh, the last uh, series of games in the Champions League, which I think many people thought was going to be one of the better matchups, and it ended up not being yeah. interesting in the least bit. Manchester City and Liverpool, Liverpool moving on, moving on five one on aggregate. Yeah, um, it's crazy. How big of a letdown was this matchup? It it was. I mean, so the funny thing is, going into the second leg of these games, everyone thought that if anybody was going to overcome the three, nothing, the three goal deficit from the first leg, it was going to be Manchester city because they were, you know, quote unquote, you know, vastly superior to Liverpool talent wise. They were playing at home. That was the game that felt like, you know, maybe Liverpool wasn't safe at three, nothing. And that was the game that Liverpool really went out and, and took care of their business. I mean, Manchester city had opportunities. They scored right off the bat, which I'm sure, um, really shocked Liverpool, but they kudos to them. They were able to control the match after that for a little bit. There was a situation right before halftime where Manchester City scored and the goal was taken away because of offsides. Um, so that game also had controversy, which is unfortunate. But in the second half, Liverpool scored two goals and, and put it put it to bed. So this was a really, really tough two weeks for uh, for Manchester City, right? Very tough. So they lost to Liverpool 3 nothing. Then on the weekend, they had an opportunity to win the Premier League. If they would have beaten Manchester United, they were winning 2 nothing at halftime, and they lost the game 3-2. Um, so that was not fun for, for their supporters of the team. <laughs> I can imagine, and then yeah. they come out and play Liverpool again with a lot of optimism, hoping they can overturn the result. They don't do that. And now this week they have to play Tottenham in the, cha- in, uh, the Premier League, which is going to be a tough game for them because cha- uh, Tottenham's trying to hold on to the top four spot. So they... Now let me ask you a question. Does it make a difference clinching against a uh, top-tier team against, or rather than a, a bottom team? So... I mean, we, you have expressed that it, the race is over already. Um, they're, going to, they're going to win this eventually. Um, for their pride, does it make a bigger deal to clinch against a top-tier Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool? 
Um, or does it not make a difference if they do it against uh, Jerry? No, Smith? it doesn't. It doesn't make a difference um, who you play. But they played Manchester United, their rivals, their huge city rivals, and they had a chance to win the the league in April against early April against Manchester United, which would have been crazy. You know, they they would have won the Premier League with a week and a half, uh, not a week, a month and a half left to play, which is insane. You know, the last eight games would have been nothing for them. You know, it would have meant absolutely nothing for them. Now, though, you know, they are extending. It's basically like the magic number, you know, that you have in, in yeah, a division absolutely. or whatever. Their, their magic number just keeps getting higher and higher now, which, you know, they're going to win eventually. I mean, it would be an epic collapse if they didn't win. But it's just, you know, it, they thought they were going to have it won already, and it's turned out to be a little bit tougher. And, you know, they're not going through a, a good situation, so everything's kind of building up with them. Well, for our purposes, I hope it, it turns into an epic collapse because it makes for interesting fodder. Um, obviously, a, a, a league that's already decided uh, isn't the, the best thing for, for everyone. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the coach, Pep Guardiola, He's the guy that I was just talking about was at Bayern Munich. You know, he, he was like the golden child a few weeks ago. He was dominating the Premier League. They looked good in the Champions League. And now, you know, he hasn't – he wasn't able to win the Champions League with Bayern Munich. You know, he hasn't been able to win it in these two years yet with Manchester City, even though he spends a ridiculous amount of money wherever he goes. So, you know, he won it with Barcelona, but now it's becoming more of a story of, you know, was it – because of Barcelona that they won the Champions League there, or was it really because of Guardiola? So, well, let me tell let me tell you something, and I I would love to hear what soccer experts actually think about this, yourself included. Um, the The way that soccer fans feel about um, managers is just unbelievable. It's so, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. This we're talking about a matter of two weeks. <laughs> yeah. This guy was. This guy was. Uh, the second coming of John Wooden. Um, and now all of a sudden he's, and if not, no one understands that reference, John Wooden's the great UCLA college basketball coach. Um, and now all of a sudden it's, he's not the one that's, that's helping to win. It just so happens that he's coaching on good teams. Yeah. It's, but that's how it is, you know, because of the point system, because you're playing for so much as far as getting into the champions league or winning the Champions League at these top, top clubs that, you know, really is a matter of a few weeks because, you know, a run of three or four bad games could really cost you an entire season. So do, do experts and analysts ever say that to fan bases, calm down, temper your expectations? You know, you can't have – you can't win every single game. Sometimes, you know, they do, but they feed into it. I mean, look at Arsenal. They've had Arsene Wenger there for – you know, it's got to be close to 20 years now, if not at least 20. And they want to run him out of town because he hasn't won anything recently. But, you know, he keeps them competitive. They're always close to the top four. I mean, the past couple of years has gotten so bad that they haven't even been in the top four. But they're in the semifinals of the Europa League. So it's just like, you know, that kind of mentality is really dying where you want to see a, a coach there for a very long, long period, time. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. All right. Interesting. Let's let's transition a little bit to uh, to the Serie A action. Um, last week we were kind of talking about Juventus pulling away with everything. Uh, then Napoli comes back and wins a two-one game against Chievo. Um, 
is this going to revive their chances? I hope so. You know, I, I mean, what happened with Juventus now is not going to be good for Napoli. You know, they're not going to be happy with losing the Champions League, especially in that fashion. So I look for them to come out uh, guns blazing this weekend and for the rest of the season to try to clinch yeah, that. You're very, big, you're very big on this bandwagon of uh, once Juventus is eliminated, now they're going to take their whole focus. Uh, once they're eliminated from the Champions League, now they're going to take their whole focus and and have it yeah because it's a Juventus is a huge club they're a winning team you know so what do you what else are you going to do if you it would be really embarrassing for them to not win a trophy this season so the fact that they're eliminated from the Champions League that was maybe distracting them a little bit maybe they could live with the fact that they were going to win the Champions League but give away the the Italian league to Napoli but now they're they're going to be focused on it you know 100% they have the depth and talent to do it. So, yeah, I would be a, a little nervous if I was a Napoli fan. How many, how, how many weeks away are we from the Napoli Juventus matchup? So, Napoli plays Milan this weekend, and then they play Juventus next weekend. So, Milan, so the next couple of weeks are going to decide this race. Um, Juventus plays Sampdoria this weekend, which is also a tough, tough game for, uh, for Juventus. It's not a walk in the park, but um, I think they're going to be very motivated this weekend and will probably come away with the three points and Napoli is playing a Milan team that has not played well in recent weeks and um, we'll be looking for revenge and they're playing in Milan. So it's going to be a tough game for them, but you know that the last two goals and that, that they scored against Kiva last weekend really should have revived them. And they, they also, um, they're playing Milik, a striker now, who was hurt for a large part of the season, and he scored one of the goals against Kievo, and he's been doing really well in the past couple of weeks. So he's kind of getting healthier just at the right time for them. So let's, you know, as we, we uh, move on from this, you're still in the camp that Juventus is going to pull away with this at some point. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I would love to see Napoli win it just for Serie A. It would be, it would be a great story. Um, but – they have a four-point lead, Juventus does. Next week, the game is in Turin at Juventus Stadium, where a lot of teams don't go and win. But maybe they could you know, take a page out of Real Madrid's playbook, who just beat Juventus 3-0 in Turin. And, and if, you, if Napoli comes away from that game with the three points, then they, they have a great, great shot of, of winning it. All right, um, let's move to... Lazio and, Lazio and Roma, a, uh, a big matchup between them after Lazio's disaster in the European well, Yeah, so I don't know if you know, but Lazio and Roma are city rivals. I don't know if that's like – I did not know that. That's like – I only knew, only knew from your that's tweets. Like, that's about it. That's, <laughs> Milan, that's like Milan and Inter, but in Rome instead. It's the Roman rivalry. They play in the same stadium. And I was really looking forward to this derby on Sunday because – I thought that um, Lazio would win their tie in the Europa League and they would get to the semifinals of the Europa League. And I just thought it would have been great to have Roma in the semifinals of the Champions League and Lazio in the semifinals of the Europa League when they play each other. Uh, but obviously Lazio had a huge freaking uh, disappointment today. They gave up three goals in like four minutes, the 72nd, 74th, and 76th minute. And they completely threw away their qualification and very, very disappointing for Italian soccer. You know what? 
your your voice changed a little bit. You had some anger in you. I, I mean, you, I'm guessing you really did not expect that outcome. I didn't because they're playing a team from Austria, Salzburg, which Lazio should have uh, more talent than. But you know, the problem with Lazio is that they do have these lapses in concentration. If you look at the Europa League all season and even in Serie A, they there are times in the game where they just shut off and they're, you know, they, the other team scores. They, they haven't had a clean sheet, I don't think, since February. You know, they've, they've gone a whole game without giving up a goal. So that's what happened today, and it, it's disappointing. You know, they had a great chance to make it to the semifinals, and it would have been a great representation of Italy, especially after all that happened this week with Roma and Juventus, and it would have been a nice thing to build on, but, you know, they, they blew it. So I hope Roma beats them okay. now on Sunday. <laughs> we'll see. Let's move to more European news, but still with the Serie A flavor. Um, Antonio Conte, we discussed last week um, the possibility of him of him returning to uh, of him returning to uh, Serie A. Oh, you didn't think it was going to happen. You thought that he was going to move more towards the PSG. Is that still the case now? Well, PSG hired Thomas Tuchel, who is the ex-coach of one of our favorite teams, Borussia Dortmund, you know, one of our favorite FIFA teams. That's the, the, yeah, the they're, yellow, they're an excellent, yellow submarines. Excellent, excellent uh, FIFA team. If you're, if you're a FIFA fan. Well, not anymore. That's they sold, well, now because they lost they a lot sold of their Dembele players. They yeah, to right. Barcelona and they sold Aubameyang to Arsenal. So they, they lost two of the speedsters. FIFA 17, they were yes, terrific. Yes, that we, we relied on heavily to counterattack. <laughs> so they lost those guys. But they're still a very talented team. But anyway, their coach, their ex-coach, will now be taking over PSG. And I thought that would have been a good spot for Conti. So now Conti really has nowhere to go. I don't think another Premier League team will hire him because they're pretty set. You know, the top teams in the Premier League are all pretty set with their matches. Doesn't sound like he would want to take one. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he wants to stay in England. But he – so I don't know. So I know you brought it up last week, and I really shot down the – the chances of him returning to coach Italy, but I never say never now because I don't even think in in Italy where he would go because Inter has a set coach. Milan just extended Gattuso. That was a big place for him to possibly go, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen because obviously they extended Gattuso's contract. Juventus, I don't see them getting rid of Allegri. And, you know, Roma is also set. So it's going to be interesting to see where Conti goes now. Maybe he takes a year off. That's what I was going to just ask. Now, do do soccer managers do they take these little sabbaticals? Yeah, uh, you know we we saw John Gruden in the NFL take a a, a real long sabbatical. Um, we've seen other coaches take a year off, wait for more appealing jobs. Tom Thibodeau took a took a year off before um, he ended up ultimately ending up with the the Minnesota Timberwolves. Is that something that's prevalent yeah, with the uh, soccer they coaches? They do that a lot. So, you know, Pep Guardiola actually did it before he went to Bayern Munich in between Barcelona and Bayern. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti did it before he went to Bayern last year. Um, you know, a lot of the coaches do that. They take a year off, spend time with their family. They rest up or whatever. They go around and watch a lot of games and things like that. So they visit a lot of training grounds. So. Well, I imagine it's stressful if every single week people are calling for your yeah, head. Yeah, it is. So. It has to be. It's, it's really, you know, if, if you win, you don't get any of the credit. But if you lose, you get all the blame. That's really the, the mentality in, in European soccer. So it's, it's a tough job. Yeah, it seems that's that why they way. get paid let's, a lot. Uh, let's let's start moving more towards uh, the United States in um, 
in terms of uh, let's stay with soccer quickly. Your favorite team, the Red Bulls. Um, what is the what is the aftermath of this Champions League? Yeah, it was it was disappointing. They dominated that second game against Chivas, and um, they just couldn't put the ball in the net. If they did, they would have went to. I think the CONCACAF Champions League goes straight to penalties if it's a tie after the two games. So that would have been interesting to see. But, yeah, they, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't score. And um, that's an interesting question. Let me ask you, are you in the, are you in the camp of uh, golden goal? So, so let's, let's kind of branch out. So a golden here. goal they, don't, they haven't done for, for a while, which I, I, know, I hated they, they, golden goal. I hated that. Okay. So you you are not a fan of that. No. See, I'm a huge fan of playoff hockey when obviously there's no shootouts. You just keep having overtimes uh, until someone finally scores a goal. Uh, you're a fan of play the overtime session, then go to penalties. I don't love penalties, but the problem with soccer is you can't you can't keep playing because the way the rules are currently set up, you only have three subs the whole game. And once you're out, you can't go back in. So it would be impossible to think that potentially eight players would have to play for like three hours straight. So it's... Well, that's... But, you know, keep in mind, that's what's part of the, the allure of the NHL playoffs. But they're able to... When they get those three overtime games. But they're, but in, my point is that in those NHL overtime games, the players are constantly being shifted in and out, in and out, in and out imagine you had to keep the same five guys on the ice for every single for the whole time or they would die. So that's the difference. If, if soccer wanted to change their rules where you get more subs or you allow players to come back in the game, you know, that might work, but I don't ever see the fans um, or the organizations, you know, agreeing to change the rules that much. I mean, as, as entertaining as a shootout is with the penalty shots, I don't think it's an accurate, it's a skill. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's the same that they talk about in hockey all the time. It's, you know, a shootout. You can be good at a shootout and not really perform well in the actual game. It's, a, it's more of a skill than it is well, skills competition than it is anything else. It, it keeps a lot of the smaller teams um, in the competitions because, you know, they have an opportunity. They have a strategy. If they had to just keep playing and playing and playing until someone scores, they'd have no shot. But – you know, you, your strategy could be, um, we, you know, we've spoken about it before that the, the Coppa Italia game where Inter played that third division team, Pordenone, that team's mentality for the whole game was we got to get this thing for penalties because that's our only shot of winning this. So that's you have that in soccer because of the penalties, because teams just have that mentality where, you know, we're never going to be able to beat these guys. We're never going to be able to score against them. Let's just defend for 120 minutes and take this thing to penalties, and, and then we have a shot. So I, I want to stay on the I want to stay on the penalties cards topic because I think it's an interesting conversation in comparison to American sports. Um, if you've been listening, obviously you know I'm Calcio Joe. I'm here with uh, my partner in crime, Claudio Perfetto. If you're listening to us, you either downloaded us on iTunes, Anchor, CloudSports.tk. We really appreciate the support. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, um, tweet at us. You can find us at Idiot Expert Pod. You can found, find Claudio um, at CPerfetto11. You can find myself at Calcho Joe 5 
um, that type of interaction. Let us know what you're thinking of the program. Let us know what directions you want us to go and what you want us to talk about. Um, talking about the cards and the penalties aspect of soccer. And the earlier discussions that we were having about the Champions League, it really got my mind going in the beginning of the week. Um, how big of a, a deal cards and the penalty kicks are in soccer. So let's keep in mind, there, I don't believe that there's any other sport, and I'm the idiot, Claudio's the expert. I don't think there's any other sport where the card or the, the penalty hurts a team more than in soccer. Yeah, it ruins now, the keep, game. Exactly. Now let's keep in mind, in football, it's a penalty. It's yardage moving one way or the other way. In basketball, it's literally you're just going to get two free throws or you're going to get the ball. Hockey is somewhat of an advantage because you're going to play with a man down or play with a man down, but that that ends for you. Um, in baseball, there really is no other than an injection. You're not losing the player. In soccer, you are losing a player. And you have to play a man down the entire game. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I mean, in other sports, in football, uh, basketball, baseball, hockey, they do have players get ejected, but just that player is not allowed to play anymore. But the position is still filled by somebody. Where in soccer, if you get a red card, yeah, your team has to play one man down. Or, I mean, there, there are games where there's multiple red cards and there's, you know, nine guys out there on the field. Um, so what, what, what do we think is the benefit of that? I, I think it kind of hampers the game. If, if you lose a, if you, for example, Juventus, they lost the Bala. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't remember if it was in the beginning of the second half or, like or the end the of middle, the first half. The middle of the second half. Yeah. Okay. So it, it, the game's kind of over at that point. It is. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times there's, I mean, there's the odd situations where, um, you know, a team is able to win somehow or score a goal with one less guy, but that's really poor for the other team um, to allow that to happen because just it becomes such a difficult task for a team to play with one man less. And um, I mean, I don't know what the benefit is. It's part of the game. Um, now with VAR in some leagues, it's not as bad because if a guy – does something crazy and it's a red card, they at least look at it to make sure that it was an actual, an actual red card before the guy, you know, gets mm. thrown out. But up until now, when there has been no video assistant referee and it was just the, the ref's call uh, at the time, it's, you know, it's tough because they haven't been very fair. You know, there are a lot of games yeah. where a player's getting thrown out for something absolutely ridiculous. And now the team is compromised for the whole game. Is it, but isn't the penalty kick enough of a punishment? Well, so you don't only, you don't only get a, pen, a red card for a penalty. Uh, to, totally understand yeah. that. But let's just, for example, let's just say it's in the, in the box. Wouldn't the penalty kick be a sufficient, you know, sufficient penalty well, in itself? They do it to try to avoid um, – so in the NBA, the way I could put it, in the NBA basically you have the, the breakaway rule, right, where if a player – Clear path, clear foul, path, yeah, exactly. If a player is maliciously trying to stop the play just to avoid the other team from scoring, then they get a technical foul, which is a shot, two shots and the ball, right? So um, in soccer, that's what 
the red card is really for. It's for a very malicious play. The one thing that I would say is the thing that you have to change is the two yellow card system because two yellow cards means a red card. And now two yellow cards could be two fouls that aren't really that egregious. And, you know, the ref is basically just making a judgment call. And now because you've given two yellow cards to the same guy, he's getting thrown out of the game. For me, the red card, the straight red is not a problem because it's usually such a terrible decision on the player's part that, you know, the team should be playing with one less guy. But, you know, the, the fact that you can do two, like, not-so-bad fouls and still get a red card and thrown out, that's the bigger problem. Listen, something to, you know, in my estimation, and again, this outsider looking in, something has to change because in all sports, you never want the, the umpire, the referee, the line judge to be the, the, the deciding factor in a game. Yep you're essentially making a decision that this team is going to play with one per, you know, one person down um, or a, a player has to play hesitant, hesitantly the entire game, the rest of the way, not to pick up an extra card uh, to be thrown out. Your try, your, your, your influence over the game is just too yeah, much. Yeah. But the, the flip side of that is now you're going to let players run wild. It'll be like the wild, wild west out there where what's the, right punishment you know in a, in a soccer game because it's tough you know players are. I, th- I think the right punishment would be you're ejected from the game but you can replace the player you can re- replace his spot play with 11 could, people yeah, but that wouldn't be bad i mean look if you keep if you keep the three substitution person rule if you keep that in the game and it, and it counts, and it counts as, as one of your subs then i agree with that because now you're still hurting the team because you're taking a player out uh, you're taking a sub, you're using a sub basically that you would have used later on in the game for whatever reason. Number one, and adopt the adopt the hockey philosophy. Yeah, maybe play a man down for a few. Minutes. Or I was going to say, and if then, you run out of subs and it's a red card, now you know you play with a man down because you don't have anybody to put in for him. So you know that that's really the, the penalty. Um, Listen, I I may be an idiot, but every now and then I think I have a good idea. I think this is something that could kind of transform the sport. I'd love to hear uh, what. The real fans of soccer think about it. You got to call Johnny Infantino, the head of FIFA. Maybe he would uh, listen to you. You know, could tra- interesting. I have to make just, my I have to make my case. Just started that. following <laughs> the game and is already already changing the rules. Uh, and you know, I, I let's let's stay on the path of uh, the the penalties and the cards in soccer. Um, and it just rang in my head last night because of the Yankees Red Sox brawl. Um, what is the soccer version of that? And when I say that, uh, if anyone watched the games, they know that it was a, it's a tit for tat. The brawl came about because it was a tit for tat, um, policing of the sport. Uh, the Red Sox took objection to Tyler Austin's slide. They hit Tyler Austin. The next time he comes up the, up to the plate, the bench is clear because both teams have to support their player. Um, is there a soccer version of that? No, because like you said, the refs really are the ones that are policing it. I mean, if you – if so if a player comes and does something crazy like to purposely hurt another player and the ref gives him a yellow card, um, there are times for sure where the other team will retaliate and someone on that team will lose his head and do something crazy. But now you're going to be penalized for it also. You know, the team, not just the player. 
So there really is – there are some fights and, and, and whatnot in soccer, but not to that extent, no, where people are getting thrown out of the game for it. Now, see, again, I have an issue with this because in, in hockey, if you injure a star player, the next time you get on the ice, the usually a hockey team has someone that's going to be the enforcer and is going to protect the, the biggest player because now next time – the best player, rather – um, because the next time you get on the ice, you're going to have to fight this person. Yeah. I, it's the ref, you know, because if, if somebody does something like that to purposely hurt a star player, then the ref is going to give them a red card. And, and is it, is it something that's, that's culturally, you know, we talk about the difference between, uh, we talked about the difference between allowing American players to play uh, for their international teams or rather the European clubs allowing their, their players to play for the international team. And, you know, you gave me the answer. It's the culture. It's the culture. It's yeah. the culture. Um, is this just an American culture aspect of sport that? Well, I think soccer they, is the they, beautiful they, game. You know what I mean? So they, they consider it the beautiful game. It's not supposed to have this brute force, you know, fighting and, and tackling and, and all that. It's not supposed to be that way. So the fans probably don't want to see it anyway. I mean, you know, the Engl- obviously the leagues are different. You know, like Serie A is yeah. very – there's not many fouls. I mean, there are a lot of fouls in Serie A because there are a lot of touch fouls. It's not as, as uh, physical as the English league where, you know, if you're watching an English league game and then five minutes later watching an Italian league game, you'll see the difference in what the referee is calling. Um, so it is culturally different, you know, even, if, but even in soccer from country to country, it's culturally different. And look, the star players are protected by the refs because, you know, like Lionel Messi, if there was no card system or whatever, people would obviously keep pulling him back every time he got the ball, because that's the only way they would be able to stop him. So, you know, the, the refs will, will give you a yellow card right off the bat or give you a warning right off the bat and say, look do that again and it's a yellow card because you know you can't keep can't keep tackling this guy you know so that's how they eliminate it but i you know i understand that and allow i understand that it's it's you know the onus is going on the referee but at the same time you saw last night with this yankees red sox fight universally it was praised because it's bringing two teams together uh separately obviously but the teams are brought together um that type of defense of a player really brings a chemistry of a team together. I think in the soccer world, obviously with so many moving parts and so many different players, uh, it would be beneficial to, you know, hard foul here, hard foul there, there to protect the player. It's hard though, too, because in soccer, there's a running clock, you know, the time doesn't stop. So if you have a 10 minute brawl, it's going to take 10 minutes off the clock. Well, I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying brawl. I'm you know, saying a hard foul, but a hard foul is going to, I mean, you, well, you can't do it because if you want to retaliate and get a hard and, and hit somebody hard or whatever, what's going to happen. You're going to get thrown out of the game. And now your team's going to have to play with one less guy. So it's, it's a t- really tough situation. Whereas in hockey, you know, if you, if you fight somebody, you're just getting thrown out of the game you know, your team is not suffering really. I mean, unless, you know, you're a star player, but like you said, the star players don't, aren't the ones fighting. They're the ones getting protected. I mean, I'm interested, I'm interested and I'd love to hear, you know, what our listeners know or think about this. Has there ever been a team, you know, and you can tweet us at idiot expert pod. Has there ever been a team that 
kind of was like the 94 Knicks or, uh, you know, those yeah, 90s well, look, basketball teams that, like, if you were a star player, you knew you were going to you were gonna take a beating. Oh, for sure. I mean, look at, uh, you know, two examples this week, Shivas against the Red Bulls. You know, if you watch that game, that team, their goal was to just keep fouling the Red Bulls hard to disrupt the game and disrupt the rhythm and waste as much time as possible and, and get out of there with a 0-0 tie. And then even Juventus. I mean, look at how many – Juventus, I don't think that was their, their full game plan, but they definitely fouled a lot. They had a ton of yellow cards, the Juventus players, because they kept fouling Real Madrid. Anytime Real Madrid had like a real opportunity to get forward and try to score – you, the Juventus players were, were pulling it back, but it's more strategic to stop the other team from scoring rather than just to send a message. Understood. Um, from a non-soccer perspective, what did you think of the Yankees-Red Sox brawl? It was a good one. I mean, usually in baseball these days, there's not really any uh, punches or anything like that. It's usually just a bunch of guys like pointing at each other and, and Playing, saying well, I thought, back, but they actually did go out after it. So I thought it was warranted on both sides. I thought the Red Sox had a right to be upset uh, because Austin slid cleats high. Um, but then at the same time, if you've watched baseball beyond the past three or four years, you know that people have slid into second base in a much worse way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the, there's the videos of Albert Bell running over Fernando Vina. Um, so I, I had no problem with the slide other than that maybe his cleats were a little bit high up. Um, it's a hard slide. It's a takeout slide. He's trying to make sure he's not going to get doubled up. Um, so, you know, I don't have an issue with that. And I don't have an issue with the Red Sox taking objection and then hitting them later on in the line. So I think both sides were right. Yeah, well, I think – so I think that the slide wasn't that bad. But like you said, if they felt like it was, which, you know, he clearly went out to try to get the guy's leg. Um, you know, if you want to retaliate when – what's the pitcher's name? Joe Kelly. When he, Joe yeah, Kelly, When yeah. he threw inside the first time to move him off the plate, I thought that was a retaliation. You know, you missed him. So I don't think it was right that he went – and tried to get him again. You know, that's where it should have ended, in my opinion. You know, but he, he basically he missed the first time. Um, so he was like, all right, now let me, let me do this again. And he went and hit him the second time. So I think that's where it should have ended because now it's just going to keep going back and forth, you know, for, for yeah, all and season. I, I think there will definitely be retaliation at some point. Yeah. Um, and, not, and it's not even – the retaliation is not even based on Tyler Austin being hit. I think the retaliation is more going to come, and I don't know if you saw this, um, from Alex Cora's comments towards Phil Nevins. Yeah, what is this crazy? What's going on? Yeah, Alex Cora is obviously the manager of the Red Sox, the new manager of the Red Sox, managed this as maybe his 12th game now. Um, Phil Nevins, the third base coach of the the Yankees, um, and the cameras picked up – Alex Cora basically shooing big timing Phil Nevin from from inside the dugout, like go into your box, the box referring to the third base coach's position on the field, um, and basically uh, dismissing him, shooing him away, um, which many people in the baseball community would find really disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, Alex Cora has been managing for, what, a week? You know what yeah. I mean? And I'm sure <laughs> Phil Nevin's been in the game for a lot longer than that. And, you know, it's, 
if I was the third base coach on uh, on the Red Sox, I would be pissed off about that because I would I would say also you think that basically my my job is not important here, you know. That, so. And you know what the funny thing is, you mentioned the third base coach. The third base coach on the Red Sox actually was the guy that got punched in the face by Tyler Austin. There you go. Uh, so so when Tyler Austin was going to punch Joe Kelly, um, the third base coach got in the way. Um, and he caught the brunt of the, of the punch. So, so uh, you, you know, you make fun of the other team's third base coach and your third base coach is yeah, well, maybe saving. Uh, maybe he thinks that that's the job of his third base coach to step up and take punches for, for his players. You know, maybe that's, that's the only purpose for him on the team. But, yeah, it was just yeah, relax, Alex Cora. Yeah, so, so quickly um, before we move on to the last topic, um, are you concerned with the Yankees right now? Um, a bit, you know, I just, obviously they have to get healthy. That's key. They're not a hundred percent healthy, but you know, last night was good. Um, that they, they turned it around and were able to win and hold on. But you know, the bullpen has scared me a little bit. Um, and they're going to need the bullpen to be better and be what we thought it would be in order to, to compete for the division. I don't think you could win the division in April, but I think you can certainly lose it. And um, yeah. if they put a big enough gap in between themselves and the Red Sox this month, uh, they could lose the division already. I I agree with your point. You know, you don't want to dig yourself into too big of a hole. But then uh, again, at the same time, this is going to be the 12th or 13th game of the season. So you don't want to put too much pressure on the team. Um, you know, the sky is not falling. Um, Aaron Judge is still hitting pretty well. Giancarlo Stanton is a... All, he's, he was the MVP of the National League last year. He's going to snap out of it. He's going to hit. You saw Gary Sanchez hit two home runs yesterday. He's going to com- uh, come about. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head with the injury status. Um, right now, they don't have any depth. You know, you talked about in soccer, Juventus having a lot of depth. It makes a big deal on a baseball team that you have some depth. Um, and the depth is really being tried because those guys at the bottom of the lineup, the Aaron Hickses of the world, the um, the – Brandon Drury's of the world, the Greg Bird's of the world, the guys that were going to lengthen the Yankees lineup are now out. And now you have um, Shane Robinson and Jace Peterson and guys that if you would have told me in the first, in the 12th game of the year, they were going to be starting a Yankees game. I would have said you're absolutely crazy. Exactly. So, but you know, that's baseball. And it seems like every day there's major injuries on every team in baseball and, you know, you have to kind of just uh, manage it until until the team is healthy, which hopefully, you know, early May, it seems like most of the guys will be back and and um, they could start rolling then, but they don't they want to hang around until then. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting race down the line. Yep. Uh, last topic here, Claude, and we'll go quickly because uh, I think we were, we were already over the hour mark. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, Nick's fired their head coach today. Jeff Hornacek and their assistant coach, uh, Kurt Rambis, which is a long time coming. I don't know why it's taken them so long to get rid of him, um, especially because he was associated with Phil Jackson mostly. Um, who was your leader in the clubhouse to get the new job? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring because I don't know who <laughs> – I don't know too many people that would want the next job. So I might actually have a, a shot. You know, I've coached CYO – basketball so hopefully they they take me seriously but uh <laughs> seriously i think they should go after frank vogel you know i, I think uh I, he that is a nice nice i think that's a a very nice reference and i think that that would be a 
a good fit for them. Yeah, Frank Vogel or Mark Jackson. I wouldn't hate. You know, he's a fan favorite. He would definitely bring a defensive presence to the Knicks, which is something they've severely lacked in in a long, long time. But, uh, look, it doesn't matter who's coaching them. They need players, you know, and they, the Knicks are always stuck in mediocrity because they're never committed completely to a rebuild. Um, and they're never they're not an attraction for the top free agents anymore. So um, no, that that is definitely the truth. Um, what I would say is that I think the best person for the job is Jeff Van Gundy. That's a good one. Do I do I think Jeff Van Gundy is going to t- end up getting the job? Absolutely not. No, I don't think so. Um, I think the most intriguing candidate is Jay Wright from Villanova. I don't think Jay Wright's leaving at all. But I think listen, for- if Jay Wright leaves to coach the Knicks I will take everything I've ever said about James Wright Jay Wright in a positive <laughs> way back because that would be the most ridiculous move that he could possibly make in his I mean he'll he well what why do you, I mean I I don't think he's gonna leave because he's built such success at Villanova and it takes so long to be to be that good and to build something up like that but I could kind of understand why he would he would want but the to Knicks, make the leap to the NBA. You, but the, the Knicks, at the end of the day, are still a huge market. Yeah, but Jay Wright is a smart guy, and there are other opportunities for sure. Maybe not this year, but there will be maybe next year. There will be plenty of opportunities for him to make the jump, and there are much better run organizations than, than the Knicks. I mean, the, That's you a know, good the point, Knicks yes. right now – if you take over the Knicks next year, you're, you're locked in for another losing se- season. And then what did, what did they finish in the lottery? Like top seven, top like eight? No, I think uh, ninth exactly. or, or eighth so or something what, like that. At best, what are they going to get? Maybe the seventh pick? And what do you, you know, it's not going to be a game changer. I mean, the Knicks historically don't draft well enough to, to pick a, a real game changer at that, at that time in the draft. So if Jay Wright took the job now, you know, Porzingis is out for half of next season already. Who are you mm-hmm. going to build a team around when you, you're not even going to have a top, top rookie, a top three pick to throw out there and, and have, have him grow? You're going to be working with uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and, uh, you know, Trey Burke. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, Tilla yeah, Keen is better, not a, but still. It's not a good situation no. either way. Um, and I, and I think most likely the person that's going to end up with the job is Mark Jackson. And I'm not too upset about no, that. It wouldn't be Mark bad. Jackson's, it would be a good hire. It would definitely instill um, work ethic to the team, which is something they haven't had in a, in a while, but you know, and has there, uh, you know, we'll end on this. Has there ever been a person who, uh, who missed an opportunity like Mark Jack, who has been, uh, yeah. really think about it. His work led to the Warriors of today. Well, it His, did. The, you know, he, 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 he built the foundation for that team. He took them to the playoffs. He really got Clay and uh, Steph, you know, committed defensively, made them into different, you know, def- different better players. So, yeah, he, he just missed the train. Yeah, absolutely. But do you think that the Warriors would have been able to win with him as the head coach? I mean, I don't know. Um. That's a good question because some of his offensive tactics obviously changed a lot under Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is a little bit more uh, innovative in that regard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. We talk about it all the time uh, in other sports. You know, we've mentioned John Tortorella on here a million times. We've mentioned it in soccer. Um, but sometimes you need that stricter 
more defensive guy who's going to get on the players and is more a player development guy to come in first. And then once the team is built up, you need the offensive guy that's going to come in and, you know, implement the team strategies and take the team over the hump. So is that something that's ever been applied in soccer? Is that, is that, uh, is that a concept they bring in a coach that's going to be defensive minded, get the team defensive minded. Uh, and then they bring in your offensive guru afterwards to finish the job. Yeah, I think if you look at, you know, Juventus, for example, is a good uh, team because they, Conti was there um, for three years and, he did a great job. You know, before he got there, Juventus was like finishing seventh in, in Serie A. They weren't anywhere near the top. And was that before or after the suspension? Oh, uh, his suspension? No, the uh, the team suspension. Oh, you mean when they got uh, relegated? Relegated to Serie B. It was it was after. So they came up from Serie B, and they um, they were doing well for a few seasons. They were like top three or four. But then they started really taking a nosedive, and they brought him in, they, and he really implemented the, a very defensive strategy. He got the best out of the players, and you know they've kind of taken that now with Allegri to the next level where that Conti team wasn't uh, winning the Champions League or close to winning the Champions League. He, he never got far in that competition, but now with Allegri, they they're able to do that so that's one example there's a ton you know it happens a lot i think i think milan will be that way with gattuso too eventually really oh that's interesting that's an interesting point you think that ultimately he's not going to be the guy that's going to bring them to uh to the promise no, i think they're a young team and he's going to uh he's right now he's building character with them you know he knows milan he knows the brand um he knows what it takes so i think he's he's there implementing I could see in a couple of years, you know, he'll probably reach his peak with the team and they'll, they'll need a bigger coach, uh, more offensive style uh, to, to really take them over the, the hump too. That's an interesting conversation. You know, we went back and forth between the different types of uh, sports, the American sports and the, the uh, European soccer model. Um, those are the type of conversations we like to have here. So please, you know, tweet at us at idiot expert pod real quick um, at, before we finish, who is your NBA Finals matchup? Who is the NBA Finals matchup? Um, as much as I would like to say the Houston Rockets, um, I'm going to say the Golden State Warriors. Even, even with the injuries, uh, they'll find a way. I'm going to be very bland here. Uh, it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavaliers, and the Warriors are going to win. Okay. I'm going to... Since you did that, I'm going to go total opposite end of the spectrum. I'm going Oklahoma City Thunder out of the West. You just embarrassed yourself. You absolutely embarrassed yourself with that. Philadelphia 76ers out of the East. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Sixers, Come Sixers on. win. Sixers and six. I, all right. Now the show has to extend. How could you possibly say that LeBron is not going to get out of the East? You never know. I mean, if he gets injured or something, God forbid. I don't wish that on him, but the the I think it's Philadelphia's okay, so, year. You know, they won the Super Bowl. They won the NCAA championship. I mean, I under I understand. I understand. They're playing that really good get, going into the playoffs. They're they have a pretty good seed. What are they? The third seed. So you know yes. they they're going to avoid uh, if they do win series, they'll avoid Cleveland and Toronto until the conference finals because they'll be playing Boston who is not at full strength. So 
I think they have a good shot to get to the conference finals. And then from there, you know, anything could really happen. Listen, there's been nothing about this season that has showed me that LeBron is going to slow down. Um, if anything, he elevates his game in the playoffs. Still the best player in all of basketball. He's always a guarantee to bring you to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they lack experience, kn- though. A lot of the new I players. Under- I understand yeah. that, but you know, you know, you're going to get a good game out of Kevin Love. Um, Le- LeBron will find a way to beat them. It's you know, he's he's the best player in basketball. I'm That's, shocked it is what it is. that out of the two teams that I said, you have a harder time believing the Sixers are going to get to the championship. Be, I mean, I, I'm I'm gonna, gonna, if I were I, you, I would be all over the Thunder pick. I mean, I, I am. I mean, I, b- both things. But I, I, because you said the 76ers second, um, I talked about that. But the, the Thunder is absolutely crazy. Well, what, what, do, what, do you, what could you possibly have seen out of the Thunder in the regular season that's going to tell you that they're going to beat uh, the Warriors that are going to beat the um, the Rockets um, that they're even going to get out of the first well, round. Well, look, you know the the playoffs is really all about star power, right? Because you need star Understood. players that are going to go out, but if, and, and they have three get, of them. They have three guys. That stop! Are gonna stop! Get, they got three stop. guys. They have two. They have okay. two. Even if they, they have, have two, two, that's more than most teams. If they they have two guys who you could give the ball to at the end of the game. And they'll find ways to score. And I think that's a big thing in the playoffs. They're the fourth seed. I mean, so they should be be able to beat the Jazz in, in the first round. And then from there, they'll probably match up with the Rockets in the second round. And, you know, that's not as, uh, as clear-cut of a series as you think it would be. So I, they, might, they might surprise some people. They have two stars. It's an aging Carmelo Anthony who, when he's on the court, actually makes the team worse. Um, and, you know, this comes from someone that went to Syracuse and is a Carmelo Anthony fan. Um, his isolation basketball, he needs the ball in order to make his team better. And, unfortunately, he's not the best person on the team to, hand, to have the ball. Um, Westbrook and Paul George are far superior at this stages in, the, in his career. Um, so, I, I just... I just don't see it. I really, I really don't. It, I will give them one compliment. I'm really a big fan of Stephen Adams. Oh, I, I think was he's say terrific. Stephen Adams, exactly. <laughs> I, th- I, I think he's terrific. At, he sets extremely hard screens. <laughs> he, he, re- he, he's one of the most self selfless players I've yeah. ever seen because he gives all of his rebounds to Russell Westbrook. Yeah, well, uh... he he boxes three guys out and lets Russell Westbrook. Uh, handle the handle the rest. Yeah, well, look, you need that in the, on a team and and in the playoffs. So we'll see. I mean, look, you went to vanilla on your pick. It, it is so very vanilla, I, but I think. I go, but I think what the interest that kind of speaks to to uh, it's funny you said that because I think the NBA is just too vanilla at this point. It is. I'm I'm never surprised by you know by what's going on. I never I never see a Roma Barcelona situation. I never see a, um, a Loyola Chicago final four run out of the NBA. It's just, it's too drawn up that it, it's too easy. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's just the, it's too easy because of the, the whole situation that, you know, really the Celtics started with the big three where, you know, guys are going 
to to play with each other instead of you know being on different teams and competing you know that's why the 90s was so great because there the stars weren't all on the same team you know every team in the 90s had you know you had the jazz with malone and stockton you had the bulls with jordan and pippen obviously the knicks with ewing you know charles barkley was in the league there was just a ton of stars Olajuwon, the list goes on and on and it makes for much better basketball when the stars are spread out and maybe there's five or ten teams. I mean, even though the but the Bulls even won you say every even seven, though yeah. you exactly even though even you saying that about the '90s as a great time of basketball, there still was only three champions in the '90s, four champions in the '90s. But, you had the Bulls, you had the um, you had the Pistons, and you had the Rockets. Yeah, well, and then whoever whoever won in the late nineties that the was Spurs the other team. won in ninety nine. Spurs, yeah, but um, it, it's true, but it was still a much more competitive, entertaining oh, league because the, the not you know even the the Jordan finals. I mean, okay, they, I think he you know he kind of he he demolished the the Suns right, but you know the Jazz the last two against the Jazz those were competitive series that could have really went. Either well, way, they were playing against two Hall of Famers. You know, yeah, even in the Eastern Stockton Conference, alone. he had a much tougher time getting to the finals than than LeBron does now. You know, does LeBron ever play a seven no, game series now and before he gets to the finals? No. So that, that's very very true, and it's it's funny you even mention that because the best team um, statistically in the East is the Toronto Raptors, and where both of us gave it zero, zero opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so Again, interesting conversation. If you like this type of conversation, please, please tweet at us at IdiotExpertPod. Um, we're more than happy to talk about the soccer world, talk about the uh, basketball, baseball, football world, um, the crossover conversations between the two. Again, at IdiotExpertPod. If you like what you hear here, um, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, on uh, cloudsports.tk and on uh, Anchor. Um, that's where you can find us. Uh, again, it was a great week. We'll see you next one. Okay, I'm going to stop it. All right. Sounds good.